Christchurch, New Malden, 8th of December 2019, 11 o'clock service. David Lothman speaking in the series, Looking to the Coming of Jesus, Micah. Good morning. Please sit down. It's a stunning morning out there, but don't you think? The three verses of our reading from Micah are a prophecy foretelling the coming of the Messiah. I'm sure you've heard them read here around Christmas time before. Matthew quotes the prophecy as part of the nativity stories at the beginning of his gospel. Herod, sorry, Herod calls together his experts and asks them where the Christ was to be born. They answer him, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Sometimes I find when I'm reading the Bible, a word or a phrase just stands out to me. Suddenly, it's as if the words are demanding my attention. Does that ever happen to you? When it happens to me, I think that's the Holy Spirit prompting me to, to learn something. So, and that's what happened as I started reading these verses from Micah when I was preparing the sermon. So I'm just going to focus on a couple of words from the reading and examine how they look towards the coming of Jesus. These words are Bethlehem and shepherd, and shadowing those words are other words from the reading like ruler and peace. The words Bethlehem and shepherd are loaded with meaning. They resonate with significance through the Bible. They take us back deep into the Bible. They tell us about God's anger at the sin of Israel's leaders, They tell us of God's love for his people. And they tell us of God's plan for a Messiah who will rescue his people from sin. Bethlehem was an insignificant place. It's completely off the beaten track. In the book of Joshua, there's recorded a list of about 150 towns and villages Bethlehem isn't mentioned once. It was a rural farming community. Far from the great city of Jerusalem, the religious centre of Judaism, where all the important things happened. It was only a little tiny farming village, but amazingly, it was the birthplace of David, the first great king of Israel. And then Micah mentions Bethlehem as the birthplace of the future ruler of Israel, the Messiah. The choice of Bethlehem for the Messiah to be born in is a powerful sign to Israel. The place is a prophecy in itself. It tells us something about the character of the coming ruler of Israel. 
Because David and Jesus were both born in Bethlehem, this immediately shows us that Micah wants to show there's a connection between Israel's past king, David, and Israel's future ruler, Jesus. When God instructed Samuel the prophet to anoint a new king after the failure of King Saul, God sends Samuel to the village of Bethlehem. It's recorded in 1 Samuel 16. Suddenly, the insignificant village in Judea becomes the birthplace of the king of Israel, David. It's not just Bethlehem that is insignificant, but also God's choice of David as the king. Israel's salvation is not going to come from Israel's aristocratic classes or high-born families. It's not going to come from Jerusalem, the religious center of Judaism. God sends Samuel to Jesse of Bethlehem. He's a farmer, a sheep breeder. At Jesse's house, God tells Samuel he'll indicate the son to be anointed. And God passes over the first son, rejects him. He's the obvious choice, the strongest, the fittest, the one trained and experienced in managing his father's affairs, the inheritor of his father's estate. Eventually, David is presented to Samuel, the youngest son, the one tending the sheep. Jesse hadn't even considered him. He was not expecting that this son would be needed in this lineup for the most important job in all Israel. In choosing David, God chooses the youngest, the weakest, the least experienced, and the son nobody has even thought about. It's the weakest and rejected one that God values. It's him who will be victorious. It's hard being the person passed over, the unattractive one, the unremarkable one, the unchosen one. It may be that all of us feel rejected or passed over at some point in our lives by people, but we can feel confident that Jesus will never reject us or pass over us. Sometimes he may feel very far from us, that's when it's most important to remember that we are his people. He is our God. At school, I was never any good at team sports. By the time I got to the last year of school, I was never chosen for any teams. <laughs> One freezing winter day, our PE teacher organised a five-a-side football tournament. There were about 12 teams and each team would play every other team. 20 minutes a match, captains were chosen and they in turn chose their teams. Well, at the bottom of the barrel, 
There were the boys that didn't bring in any kit. There were the boys that might have felt a bit ill. They were the useless boys. The ones that couldn't play football to save their lives. The unchosen ones. Me. We huddled together to keep warm and began to think about the best place to shelter on this cold day. When suddenly, a teacher came sweeping by, scooped us up, told us, we're going to be a team. <laughs> we quickly organised ourselves. Our goalkeeper, two defenders, two forwards. We were hopeless. <laughs> I was chosen to be one of the forwards. Unbelievable. I heard someone say, just kick the ball forward. Just kick the ball forward. <laughs> the goalie kicks to the defenders. The defenders to the forwards and the forwards for the goal. Got it, Lofty? <laughs> it was a total revelation to me. So we played our first couple of matches and lost both, predictably. But then we faced the golden team. The team had the head boy and the prefects and the sporty lads. This was a David and Goliath moment. <laughs> they must have taken one look, at one look at us and just smirked. Some of us were overweight, some totally unfit, some just badly coordinated. Our socks were round our ankles, some had plimsolls, not football boots. And we probably had one pair of shin pads between the five of us. So we played. I remembered that voice, kick the ball forward, kick the ball forward, goalies to the defenders, defenders to the forwards, forwards, go for the goal. Suddenly, the ball was coming my way. I turned and ran with it. Sorry, I ran with the ball, kicking it just in front of me. Then I passed it to the other striker. We dodged their forwards and their defenders. <laughs> Suddenly, I could see the goal, but no goalkeeper. <laughs> Someone, maybe me, kicked the ball. It went straight into the back of the net. Amazing, we scored. <laughs> Sometimes in life, the least important, the rejected and forgotten are called upon and they leave the field victorious. That was us, that day. And so like David, Micah is telling us that Israel's future leader Jesus will also come from this unimportant place, from an insignificant family. He'll grow up not in a palace or the rarefied courts of the temple in Jerusalem, but like David, following in his father's work, David the shepherd, tending his father's sheep, Jesus the carpenter, learning his father's trade. This it's what the reference to Bethlehem can teach us. 
God's chosen one is not the obvious one. He's the one overlooked, a carpenter's son, soon to become a, a refugee, homeless, and soon running for his life. The word shepherd is also an important word in Micah. It's written in verse 4. He, that's the coming ruler of Israel, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the word shepherd, God, through Micah, is describing the kind of ruler he's going to raise up to lead his people. This leader will rule with strength and authority of God himself. Micah and other prophets also use words associated with sheep as an extended metaphor for the relationship between the Israelites and God or Israel's leaders. The Israelites are represented as sheep and God or their leaders are represented by the shepherd. It's such a common extended metaphor. We can find it all over the Bible. Like in Psalm 95. We are the sheep of his pasture, the flock under his care. Or in Psalm 78, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people. These are quite positive images of the relationship between a leader and their subjects. <clears throat> However, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd is not always presented in such an, in such an affirming way. In the second reading, in the second reading we had from Ezekiel chapter 34, the writer uses the word shepherd again metaphorically to represent Israel's leaders. Firstly, Ezekiel describes bad shepherds. These are the leaders of Israel. He's referring to Israel's kings, but also to its priests givers of the law, teachers of the law. These leaders are self-centered, self-serving, corrupt and indifferent to the pain and suffering of the people. They exploit the people. They don't look after them. Herod, sitting in Jerusalem, would have been the prime example of such a self-centered king. As a result, many Jews are scattered and lost throughout the nations. Those that remain in Israel are vulnerable and exposed to attack by Israel's powerful neighbours, Assyria and Babylon. Israel's leaders are full of sin. They have drifted away from the covenant relationship with God and they lead their people into sin. God has had enough of these bad shepherds, these bad leaders. He's going to get rid of them and shepherd the sheep himself. In the second half of the reading from Ezekiel, it's written, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. He will look after the weak, heal the injured, Care for them. God will rule over his people with love 
and justice. Ezekiel, along with Micah, are both indicating that the coming Messiah will be God's shepherd, the shepherd king. I met a good shepherd once. She really reminded me of the depend of our and my dependence on Jesus. She asked me to join a group in a field and help round up about 50 sheep into the back of a trailer. I tell you, she was in complete control. She had absolute authority. She knew the sheep. She knew what they needed. She knew how to get the sheep into the trailer. But more than that, she knew about us, the group of people she'd assembled to help her. Barely using any words at all, she gave instructions, pointed to where we should stand, nodded at us when we'd got it right. She crouched down low and spread out her arms to show how we should work. And we just followed her instructions and we got the job done. Those sheep were really nervous. At times they shuffled into a tight bunch, then suddenly one or two would try and break away, stamping on their neighbours to bolt out of the group. I don't think I'd ever seen such completely helpless animals in my life. They seemed totally dependent on her. And I suppose we were dependent on her as well, including me. We just followed her instructions and helped get the sheep in. Once I'd made the decision to get out of the car, I just had to trust her. This woman, the shepherd, was right with us as we gathered these sheep together. I'd never been this close to sheep before. If we needed help, or reassurance, we just had to look up, and there she was. And that's the way we can think about Jesus, isn't it? He is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. He's just there to help and to guide us. He's as close and as direct to us as that shepherd was to me. All we need to do is call on him. I think we're exactly like those sheep. By ourselves, we're out of control. We follow our own desires. By ourselves, we, we become isolated and lost, living out a life without true meaning or purpose. Alone, we live lives of distraction, adrift, and falling into sin. Reading these verses from Micah at Christmas can remind us again the true meaning and purpose of our lives. Be reminded again that Jesus' greatness reaches to the ends of the earth. He is our peace.